Hello and welcome back to It's Symbolic, where we have got a specially wrapped gift for this holiday season. It's I'm our Christmas Savage. spooktacular. Wait, I wasn't... Yes. God, this really is going to be after Christmas, isn't it? I wasn't prepared for this at all. I thought it was going to yeah. be another episode. I wasn't warned. You didn't tell me this was our Christmas episode. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess the fact that what to we're covering fair, has dude. the word Christmas in it should have been... A hint. Yeah. But you could have made it a bit it's more a explicit. <laughs> this isn't a bit. I didn't realize. <laughs> Jeez. We could... I, I would have brought, like, some, some jingle bells or something. I, I could... Oh, please. God, no. <laughs> no. No. I could, um... What the fuck do people do on Christmas? <laughs> I've never done it. <laughs> That's a very good question. Anyway, I'm Jacob Savage. I'm Mir. I'm Ben. Yes, we've got Mir back. How are you, Mir? I'm doing well. I've been... How was able... college finals? Uh, kind of brutal. Um, have you passed all of your classes? Yes, I have. Don't let anyone lead you to believe that art school is easy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... I mean, I, I have a degree in the arts as well. I'm agreeing with you. Well, I'm just saying gen as generally, like, to our audience, don't yes. let anyone le lead you to believe that painting isn't hard. But, yes, as we have completely blindsided Ben by announcing this is the closest thing we're going to have to a Christmas episode. Which Partially is fine because, by me. Well, I don't really like the Christmas season. Yeah, I mean, this year I'm working retail, so you can imagine how much I want to die at any given moment in regards to the general Christmas spirit. None of us have it. Uh, I literally yeah. don't think I'm capable of possessing it. I think that's just sort of it, it, part of the territory. I mean, Mir was the only one raised in the relevant religion, so <laughs> that may have something to do with it. But yeah. we've got a very special treat for you. Is it that this special? This holiday season. I thought, because up until this point, I thought it was just a normal episode. So can we really say it was that special? Well, we've got a very special gift for you. And oh. that gift is dead coeds. Oh, thank you. You shouldn't have. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I don't have the receipt, so... Well, maybe I can get store credit. I don't to... know. Hmm. Well, in case you haven't been able to tell, we are going to be talking about the Canadian slasher film Black Christmas. You had that really killer line when we were watching it for the first time uh, about how it sounded like the title of a Medea film. Do you want to try to like rework that into something that's oh, more <laughs> podcast usable? I'll give you time to do that now. I mean, it, it, you sort of just 
gave the whole joke away. It's okay. It's okay. You can cut that out. Go ahead. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if I can now. Yeah, you can. Just go the ahead. pressure no, is too can, great. You can cut all this out and just leave in your joke. Just ready? Yeah, I mean... Go uh, for it any time. Or maybe, you know, when the moment strikes to. It doesn't need to be now. I'm not going to say it yeah. Just... Just wanted to remind you that it was, you know, I thought it was pretty... Despite what the name may tell you, this is not the Tyler Perry Christmas special. Nice, that was good. I it like is. It. There you go. A 1974 psychological slasher film. Did either of you really know about it? I didn't know anything. Um, I remember the remake coming out, like, back in 2006, and being like, that sounds dumb. Uh, and then later learning that it was originally a 1970s movie. And uh, my understanding was that it was marginally better. Uh, and then I didn't finish it. <laughs> well, Sorry. yeah, Sorry, I didn't everybody. know there was even a remake. So you have that over me. <laughs> and yeah, also, I like... apologize in advance about some of the clips because this... This movie is not necessarily a pleasant auditory experience. Yeah, it like opens up and you hear the breathing of a creeper and uh, Is that what we're sounds... referring to him as henceforth? The creeper? <laughs> Probably. Uh, yes, yeah, sounds... a well-known Scooby-Doo villain, the creeper. <laughs> he sounds kind of like he's still getting over a cold. Um, <laughs> and Maybe that's was... just the phone connection. It was just one of a number of things that triggered misophonia in me that made it hard to get through. Ah. Mm. Very sorry about that. <laughs> I can't tell if that was earnest or not. Oh, it, it, I... Oh, I meant Jacob. Oh. <laughs> wow! Rude. Very rude. Yeah, this isn't a film that you necessarily come across unless you're actively researching horror films. And we'll get into oh, yeah? we'll get into that a bit. First, some background, I suppose. Oh, this was written by A. Roy Moore. Which Roy Moore? Wrote... Oh, wait, which Roy Moore? You get it? I mean, in some places he's credited as A. Roy Moore, and sometimes just as Roy Moore, so... Do you, you want to at least, like, express some sort of frustration at my joke or something? You gave me, like, nothing that time. Yeah, I, I, I'm sorry. They can't all be winners. What the fuck? Just... I, I, I know we have a dynamic, but it's a two-way street. get on with it now. I'm already demoralized. <laughs> <laughs> well... This is the worst Christmas ever. <laughs> Oh no, we've got to give Ben his Christmas spirit back. <laughs> Maybe by the end of the episode, I'll have regained my Christmas spirit and we'll understand the meaning of Christmas. <laughs> and we, we might have a, that's our goal. We might have a special guest. Uh, oh, sorry, you know who? Oh, oh, oh. Anyway, so inspired by a certain urban legend, you'll know the one when we get to the relevant part of the plot and a series of murders that took place in Montreal around the time. Roy Moore wrote the screenplay Stop Me, which is a title. That was the mask's working title, I think. (laughs) No, no! (laughs) No, that was Somebody Stop Me. This one's just Stop Me. Well, they they, they needed to workshop the line some still, you know? (laughs) (laughs) There you go. I got Black Christmas starring Jim (laughs) Carrey. I hate it. (laughs) 
Specifically 1990s Jim Carrey. <laughs> he, he, he fell into a time slip. Hmm. Well, so, this movie was rewritten by producers to work in a university. Because while the genre hadn't necessarily taken off yet, slasher films were known by this point. Like, you had your psycho and some of the other films that Hitchcock did that fit the bill. There was the somewhat popularity of the Italian giallo films of the time. And it was felt that this probably fit too many of the tropes that audiences would expect by this time. So they added a bit more comedy and put it in college. They have stated that they wanted to capture the astuteness of young adults. And teen movies, of course, even to this day, are about idiots. Yeah. <laughs> and that's how we like it, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> you don't get common sense until you reach 19. Hey, I mean, I don't disagree, to be honest. Yeah, Some, to be fair. Sometimes later. Uh, but, yeah, so the film was given to Bob Clark direction who was already a bit well known through his previous work children shouldn't play with dead things which is a comedic zombie movie that's got its own following and apparently he executive produced the film that became the source material for dukes of hazard wow yeah so this was a director with some degree of experience and Oddly enough, for pretty much anything that we talk about on this podcast, it got some big names attached to it. The lead character is played by Olivia Hussey, who by this point had pretty much already gained international acclaim for appearing in Franco Zeffirelli's 1968 version of Romeo and Juliet. Yes, she took the role in Black Christmas after being told by a psychic that she would make a film in Car in Canada that would earn a great deal of money. That's as good a reason as any. One of the other actors said that she was obsessed with the idea of using the psychic to fall in love with Paul McCartney. So, <laughs> make of that what you will. And no the male lead is played by Kier Dulea. Kier Dulea, I believe, is how it's pronounced who ha actually played Dave Bowman in 2001, A Space Odyssey, six years earlier. Oh. Additional cast members include Margot Kidder and Andrea Martin, both of whom became a bit more well-known through their later works, and John Saxon. Yes, roles were offered to Betty Davis, who declined the role, and Gilda Radner, who actually accepted the part but had to drop out because of Saturday Night Live. Uh, that would have been quite interesting. I was kind of oh, curious yeah. to see yes. how that version would have looked. Yeah. And they filmed it in that great American city of Toronto. Close enough. Yes, in the University of Toronto. And the film was released in 1974 under the title Black Christmas in Canada. And in the United States, as Silent Night 
Evil Knight. That's so good. That's such a good name. <laughs> yes, apparently Warner Brothers was afraid that the original title would mislead audiences into believing that it was a black exploitation movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, well, there you go. They made the joke for you. Damn, yeah, Jay, what, what do we even do you have know? you? What do we even have you here for? Oh god, that that's a good question. This is my last episode, everyone. <laughs> I'm sorry to announce it. Your your Christmas present is me leaving. Oh. I'm so glad Who's Sam to listen. <laughs> May as well get into the actual content of this movie. Out of curiosity, Mir, just how far in did you get? Um, Are you just outing the fact that she didn't watch the whole thing right now? Not very far. Uh, they were, like, at the police station uh, reporting Claire missing. Okay. That is very um, early. So, so we're going to have an ill-bleed situation I, I over here. I discovered at that point, like, a little before that point, rather that this was a Canadian film because, like, as I was watching it and, like, Claire's dad shows up, I was like, this is a very Canadian-sounding father she has. Uh, must that's how dads are I sometimes. I didn't pick up on that whatsoever. <laughs> Maybe you have more I mean, Olivia Hussey has an English film. accent during the entire film. Uh, I didn't hear that, sorry. Hmm. Anyway, Black Christmas. As the carols play and I already go into flight or fight mode, we <laughs> enter from the point of view of an unknown man who is breaking into the attic of a sorority house where there's a wild Christmas party. Ah, uh, thank God. I was worried you wouldn't yeah, get any I... party in college, kids. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. My... My college didn't have Greek living, so I don't know how accurate this is in regards to that. Believe me, I kept as far away from po as possible from that sort of thing. So uh, I assure you it was Wait. only to, to minimize uh, any opportunity for me to get slashed, you know? That, that's oh, why. Yeah, that's, that's the sort of thing that they have to tell you about during orientation. That's so true. It's like reverse it's like, hazing. It's safety precautions. Stay away from Kappa Sigma. <laughs> Their hazing ritual involves a knife glove. It's very unpleasant. <laughs> I think some colleges are trying to take action against it, but there's a lot of pushback. It's just it's tradition, you know? Yeah. I mean, my father killed several teenagers, and his father killed several teenagers <laughs> before him. And they liked it that it way, damn it. tradition, god damn it. A likely story. How's it look? Eulish, very Eulish. Have you got your Santa Claus suit ready? Yeah. What time the little bastards arrive? Anyway, this party swiftly comes to an end because the girls say so. There's no real reason given. It's just party over now. And they get a phone call from 
man who is implied to call on a regular basis. And just every girl in the house gathers around the phone to listen to this creeper panting into the phone. Panting and muttering. Yes. This is just regular party behavior, I assume. I don't really have a frame of reference. I've got to assume this is pretty standard. Yeah, I'll I'll be honest. I was kind of struck by the language that they use in a film made in 1974. A somewhat mainstream film, no less. This is a vulgar movie. Yeah. And uh, this is... I don't know. It's so vulgar, yet I don't know why they all just show up and not only all listen, but keep him on the line. I feel like, like I kind of would do the same thing, maybe. Like, if I was in a group of people. If I'm by myself, I hang up the phone immediately, if I even pick up. But... <laughs> If it was like a even group if you of know the person, it's just and some creeper kept calling, we probably would just like hold up the phone and listen, and just like probably swear at him, <laughs> tell him the fuck off. Yes, and so that part I think is pretty accurate. True. Is that, is that considered a good time? <laughs> uh, it's a bonding experience. <laughs> there we go. I mean, I'll be honest, I had one particular friendship end in a rather nasty way, and we would do the same thing when they would call. <laughs> With less sexual threats, admittedly. Anyway, the best character in the movie, Barb, played by Margot Kidder, takes the phone and... Basically just tells the guy to fuck off, which, good for her. Yeah, well good, good well earned. <laughs> yeah. I loved Barb. Barb was the best character in that movie. I'll come over and you, and you, can, you can suck it. Suck it. Okay. Listen, you pervert, why don't you go over to Lambakai? They could use a little of this. <sighs> Seeing this kind of attitude from a woman doesn't exactly please the caller. He just drops the act and says that he's going to kill them. Maybe she likes the straight shooter better. Hmm. I mean, I'll be honest. I I have heard those calls. There are actual recordings of real calls from creepy serial killers and the like. I think I've seen, particularly the Golden State Killer, seen those yeah. audio clips going around. I got a lot of those kinds of vibes from this. Ugh. I go out of my way to avoid something like that, but I take your word for it. Yeah. Oh, why don't you go find a wall socket and stick your tongue in it? That'll give you a charge. I'll stick my tongue up your pretty pussy. You fucking creep! I'm going to kill you. This action incites a fight between Barb and the younger, more innocent Claire, played by Lynn Griffin. Now, Claire is afraid that this guy could be dangerous, but, you know, who cares about that? It's just a weirdo on the phone. It's like the early internet days when 
half of everyone was convinced that it was full of predators, and the other half was just, the internet can't hurt you. It's an information superhighway. Claire, after this argument, goes up to her room to finish packing for Christmas break. Which, as far as I can tell, starts on Christmas for some reason. It's weird. While she's there, she plays with the cat a bit. Ben's screaming at me because there's a cat in a horror movie. Wouldn't you? Like, Yeah, I was worried. Come on, yeah, seriously. Yes. As if, you're saying that as if that wasn't a reasonable concern on my part. And you I were, mean, that's fair. Are you saying that that's you wouldn't very have fair. been worried as well if you weren't the one who was sticking this on other people? Well, the cat runs off, but after a while it starts crying, which goads Claire into starting to look for it. And for some reason, it just seems that the noise is coming from her closet, which doesn't strike her as odd even after she has confirmed that the cat is not in fact there. She doesn't have much time to think over this, however, given that someone reaches in from within the closet and suffocates her using, like, a plastic dry cleaning bag. Who is it? Claude? Who is that? Who is it? (laughs) Then he just drags her to the attic and leaves everything the way it was. The next day, Claire's father... He's cleaning up after himself. It's considerate. True. True. Like, you know how cats are. The cat would start, like, nibbling on him or something. Oh, God. I think that's just, like, sort of an old wives' tale or something that cats Yeah, it is, it is. People's I mean, bodies. For one thing, there's, like, five other people in the house. <laughs> so the cat would eat them first. While this is going on, we also meet the house mother, Miss McHenry, played by Marianne Ann Waldman. She was also delightful. Yes. She has a, a lot of alcohol hidden throughout the room. Hey, not, yeah. not the Very room, the house. Am I right? Oh. <laughs> uh, what, what, what do, like, uh, wine... What sort of shit do wine moms say? I don't know. Oh, God. I don't know. No, we, I, don't know. I no know they really with, like, like minions. Wine mom sensibilities? Okay. Nope. All right, maybe someday. I'll come back to it. Yeah, Maybe. Before booze. Claire's death is intercut with scenes of Miss McHenry being given like an ugly dress by the girls. I don't know if that alleviates the horror or makes it worse. Maybe both. Who knows? I feel like I feel like it's probably meant to make it worse because yeah, this is something like, that we actually return to throughout is... the movie. It's like when someone's killing someone, but it's the classical music. <laughs> Horrific! How could they oh, do no. this in, in such a situation? You can't kill someone and enjoy Vivaldi. <laughs> wow, it's unheard of. Cut to the next day. Where Claire's father is on campus looking for his daughter, who is not showing up, and 
he heads over to Sorority House to look for her, where Mrs. McHenry awkwardly has to hide any indication that these children are not living purely, which is probably the funniest part of the movie. Yeah, I I got a real laugh out of uh, that part, like, where there's, like, a poster on the wall of... I couldn't see it very clearly, but it looked like a series of photos of some granny, and then it ends with her giving the bird. Yes. And that that gave me a good laugh. I didn't mm-hmm. send my daughter here to be drinking and picking up boys. Oh, shit. Meanwhile, while this is going on, our heroine, Jess, played by Olivia Hussey, meets up with her boyfriend, Peter, a music student, played by Kier Delea. I am probably mangling that name. Or she has the important announcement that she is pregnant, and she doesn't want it. Which is good for her, and a lot better than I was expecting yeah, was from a movie in nineteen seventy. It was a bit of a, a a fright to have it brought up in a movie during this time in the first place. Like, where are they going to sign on this? Yeah, yeah. In the end, it does appear to side with her because Peter is not happy about this. He wants her to drop everything and keep the baby so they can be happy together. I thought this out very carefully and I know what I'm going to do. Do you know how important this afternoon is to me? Yes, I do. Ooh, wait, Fuck I you. saw a really good joke to make later on in the movie. <laughs> okay. Okay, don't, don't forget. Don't forget. Um, let me... Fucking write it down. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, okay. Uh, I'm bringing up Notepad. Uh... <laughs> okay, I wrote it down. Anyway, the point the point is fuck Peter. Yeah, Peter is the worst. Yeah, yeah. He's like, don't you ever think of anyone but yourself? Like, like how about? You think about someone other than yourself, Peter. Yes, he's... You're not the one who has to carry the fucking kid. He's so angry that he messes up his piano recital in front of a whole three people. And... <laughs> what an idiot. Just, yeah, he just oh. fucking destroys his piano with a lamp. <laughs> it happens. Sometimes that's the only thing you can do when the piano fails you. Yes. <laughs> Having been maybe, unable ooh, to... Or maybe he was worried about a house scenario. Oh, shit, you're right. Oh, my God. Yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe. We need to, like... We have not talked we about house like, on the show. House-y we need before to. Before we can properly make jokes about it, I feel. No, I think we can say that we expect everyone in the audience to have seen house and if you haven't, go watch it. Yes, what are you doing listening to or- this? That's a fucking order. That's our real Christmas <laughs> gift to you, the recommendation of Haosu. That's your homework. Yes. (laughs) 
having been unable to find Claire, her father, along with Barb and Phyllis, played by Andrea Martin, go over to the local police station, where they're pretty much written off immediately by the officer. Because young girls go missing all the time, and they're usually on the beach with their boyfriend during Christmas. Yeah, that was kind of the attitude towards missing young people for a long time. Like, Uh, up until even the 90s and 2000s. I mean, it kind of still is if they're not white. Yeah, hold, they're just runaways and they'll come back. Yeah. And then they don't. Because they got murdered. The police have another issue, anyway, given that a young local girl has disappeared while walking home from school. Anyway, so... Barb, who has been pretty much just drinking herself into a stupor this entire goddamn movie, good for her. Yeah, I mean, if you were in a sorority, you would probably do the same. Yeah. (laughs) Like I said, she's the best character in this entire movie because she does not give a fuck. Did you know, this is a very little known fact, but did you know that there's a certain species of turtle there's a certain species of turtle that can screw for three days without stopping? You don't believe me, do you? Well, I mean, how could I make something like that up? Uh, Barb, dear. Uh, I, I, I... Uh... No, really, they just three days, 24 hours a day. Can you believe Which that? is very, very nice for a horror film from the 1970s. We're going to keep on returning to that. <laughs> Barb is put to bed... And several of the characters go out to look for the child and Claire in a nearby park. Miss Smack is planning to leave herself, but hearing the cat is lured up to the attic. A lot of this movie is just girls being lured to their death by the promise of a cat. God, Which is so relatable, though. Like, yeah, that's fair. I, mean, I would willingly put myself in any scenario if there were promise of a cat. Yes, and unfortunately, there is no cat here. Well, actually, there is a cat. The cat has been licking the face of the dead girl, who oh. has just been left in the attic in a rocking chair. Maybe the 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 plastic used to suffocate her had like a. It was formerly used for like a fruit roll up or something. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta have my fruit roll-ups. <laughs> this has been an ad for... for fruit roll-ups. Yes, Miss Smack goes up to the attic, finds Claire's body, and the killer promptly throws like one of those hanging hooks like everyone has in their attic, I guess. I think it's to hoist like yeah. heavy stuff. Anyway, this kills her. She th- he throws it at her and she dies and is just like pulled up into the attic like very convenient for easy storage yeah Yeah, it's some sort of it's like somebody getting yanked off screen in a looney tunes (laughs) 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 
beautiful. Yeah. Very ho vaudevillian. <laughs> Truly. They find the younger girl that is has been missing, and Jess returns back home, where she promptly gets another phone call, and actually decides to do the reasonable thing and tell the police about it. But first, we've got the jackass boyfriend to deal with again. You selfish bitch. You're talking about killing other babies though you were having a wart removed. Now can you see why I didn't want to tell you? What the hell are you trying to do to me? What are you doing to yourself? Ah, jeez. Well, can this guy die yet? Yeah, I mean... He complains that he's quitting music because he's tired of it, and she should be able to give up everything like he has. So why doesn't he just marry her and have the kid? Fuck you! <sighs> she didn't fucking ask you to. Yeah, um... She just shuts him down as well. Good for her. Good for her. But in the meantime, he storms out, and as far as I can tell, spends the rest of the movie just hanging out outside of the house. You know, like you do. And the police come to bug the phones. Because this was the 1970s. Caller ID didn't. That didn't exist yet. He needed someone on the phone for like five minutes before he could figure out who it was. Man, that must fucking suck. I'm glad I'm not an old person. Wow. I wasn't wasn't of the age that I would be the target for for serial killers prior to (laughs) caller IDs existing. That didn't come out right. Anyways, moving on. Well, we've got three girls left in the house. Jess... Barb and Phyllis. Now, Barb suddenly starts screaming, but it's an asthma attack because she has that now. Yeah, that's what you do when you have an asthma attack. You start screaming. Yeah. Because you have the breath to scream. You just, you're like, ah, I love to well, exhale. Less from screaming my mouth. and more like struggling noises, but you get my point. Yeah, that's true. Okay. A group of children singing Christmas carols show up at the house. Like, they just... They don't even... (laughs) That's that's your reaction, huh? Shut the door in their face. Oh my god, they don't even even (laughs) knock or anything. They just stand on the stoop and... And start singing. And I think this just, is how it. I think that's just how it works. I don't think this is abnormal. I don't. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't even really I, grow up in a particularly Christian neighborhood. Yeah, I've never actually encountered carolers, but the idea is horrible. I mean, it's basically what living with theater students is like. I'll just start oh singing, God. and they that won't go like away. <laughs> You could not have made it sound any more awful than you just did. 
Now, this singing just transfixes Jess. So the killer is able to go into Barb's room and just stab her to death using a glass unicorn. Like the darkest possible version of the glass menagerie ever conceived. Of course, this can't be heard because the children are singing too loudly. And one of the adults in the area just ushers them away because, you know, a dead child has been found in the area. Yes. Maybe now is not the best time to go out caroling. Yeah. At this point, Jess gets another phone call where a killer who is just using all of these voices referring very to himself, talented yeah a lot of these calls seem to hint at some sort of problem between two people named agnes and billy and that's general consensus is that billy is the killer judging by the range he shows maybe billy west who knows yes we we never see billy the most we see of him is his eye when he is stabbing barb to death otherwise he's just in shadow or over the phone this next call that just gets also includes some specific lines from her argument with Peter, which one is, I, I just want to say again how much I hate Peter. <laughs> He's such a piece of shit. I he can't is. wait till we get to when, huh? <laughs> he is. <sighs> it's the worst. It's like you can't just kill our baby like you're getting a wart removed. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you. Drop dead. <laughs> Please. Admittedly, this actually kind of clues in the officer, who thinks that Peter may be the one to be killing everyone. I wouldn't fucking put it past him. Exactly. I mean, fucking creepo. God. However, Jess has been unable to keep the killer on the line long enough to trace the call, which is apparently done by, like, running around a server room. (laughs) Looks kind of fun. Yeah, it's like the fucking what's it called? Univac? I thought it was We're like, talking. It's like playing tag with the phone lines. <laughs> there, there you go. Anyway, Phyllis goes into Barb's room to check on her and is killed off screen. Well, happens. Mm-hmm. Jess gets yet another phone call, but is actually able to keep them on the line long enough. To be traced by the police. Now, they tell... They tell the sergeant, who's the same person that initially wrote off the missing girl, not to tell her that the calls are coming from inside the house. But when he calls Jess, what does he do? 
Well, because this whole time we were watching it, I was yelling the calls are coming from inside the house in jest. And then, Jacob, and then they were. I'm sure that this must have been very satisfying for him when he could bring it to my attention that I had no idea what the fuck I was talking about because that came from this and I had no idea. <laughs> I, I mean, it was a popular urban legend, apparently based off of a real event that occurred in 1950. By this point, it was well ingrained in popular culture, spread throughout the 60s, probably best known through the movie When a Stranger Calls. Please, no, Brad, please just do as I tell you. Okay. I'll get Philip. No, no, no! Don't do that, Jess. Yes. The caller is in the house. The calls are coming from the house. Jess. Yes. Given that the calls are coming from inside the house, and that she should leave immediately, just doesn't leave. She grabs a fireplace poker and goes to check on her friends. Who are dead? Way to go, Jess. Well, what did she expect? Yeah, I mean... They were already incapacitated. It's not like... Oh, oh. Like, oh, she left your asthmatic friend with a serial killer on the loose, and then you're like, maybe I should look, just in case. Yeah. Just you, you think the killer's just going to be like, oh, oh, she's sick. I'll give her some time to recover before. <laughs> That's just mean. Yeah, stabbing. Also, uh, slur against women. Slur against women. Slur against women. Yeah, <laughs> the killer is also in the room and chases Jess around the house before she locks herself in the cellar. And who picks this time to show up? But fucking Peter. Good opportunity for him to die. Yeah, he just he literally just breaks through a window to get to her. God. Yeah, and she just kills him with the poker. Fuck yeah. Good for <laughs> her. Oh, hold on, wait, let me write out my notes. Mm. Uh, God, how do I put this? Fuck, I don't... I thought he was pro-life. Ugh. God. Dies anyway. Just <laughs> oh. <laughs> then you. Jess, are you in there? Jess? This is the point that the police show up, where they find Jess in the basement, barely conscious, having killed Peter, so they just put and her never, to bed. And never more proud of her. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they put her to bed, they like, drug her, so she's gonna be out for a few hours. Some of the police go to fight off the press and keep them from bugging her. And it turns out that Claire's father is in a state of shock because they have discovered the bodies of Barb and Phyllis. So the rest of the police also leave. However, the killer's still around. He's still playing with the bodies in the attic. Yep. So they just leave Jess there with the policeman outside of the house. 
That's what you do when you come across a when the police come across a crime scene, they leave. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Jo- job well done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they did say that like the morgue and the hospital don't have enough space. <laughs> but the killer comes down from the attic. The telephone rings. And we don't know what happens. End of movie. That's it. Yeah. It's me, Billy. Now, this film was not particularly well-received. Warner Brothers actually changed... They they asked the director to change the ending so that the killer turned out to be Claire's boyfriend instead mm. of it being this unknown. Right. I mean, I have mixed feelings about... Having the killer just be someone who there's no background on, there's, you don't even see that they're just like, they literally only exist to be a killer. They're just like this constant killing force and nothing about them changes throughout the movie. It can be done well and it can be done poorly. Yeah, yeah I guess so. It's funny, it was released in Canada and had a standard life there. In the US, it just screened in a few cities. It screened in New York City, Chicago, and 19 theaters in L.A., where it got considerable ticket sales, leading Warner Brothers to release it in about 70 theaters nationwide for Halloween. But the film generated a daily average of $700 per theater per day. That's not even enough to buy Christmas presents. How's that? Mm. I, I thought I would remind them that this is a Christmas episode. Yeah. Admittedly, it did gross over $4 million on a budget of $600,000. It actually was supposed to make its television premiere in 1978, which opened a whole other bit of controversy, given that there was this sort of string of murders going on in Florida at the time in the yeah. sorority houses. There were... Quite a number of serial killers active at this time. Yeah, I mean, this particular one was one of the big ones. It was Ted Bundy. This just led to even more infamy for the film. And it actually was very mixed at the time. The New York Times gave it one out of five, calling it a whodunit that raises the question as to why it was made. Wow. Nice. Got him. Good job. Yep, and Variety said that it exploits unnecessary violence in a slow-paced, murky tale. I mean, I'm going to get to this later, but it's not really all that violent. Yeah. God, the good old days when this was considered violent. Yeah, seriously. It did actually get a few nominations at award shows. Nominated for Best Horror Film at the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror. Nominated for Best Motion Picture at the Edgar Allan Poe Awards. And actually won at the Canadian Film Awards for Best Sound Editing in a Feature. And Best Performance by a Lead Actress for Margot Kidder. Which is interesting given that Barb isn't exactly a lead a- a lead character. Yeah. Yeah, I guess not, huh? <laughs> but this film... The actors were actually a bit 
more well-known. Like I said, some of them already had established themselves. Margot Kidder later went on to act in the Amityville Horror and play Lewis Lane in the Superman films. While Andrea Martin was probably best known for her work in SCTV, she also, like, holds a record for Tony nominations, so... Oh, wow. Yeah. And in the years since, this the influence of this film has really been recognized. Perhaps the biggest influence that it has was the 1978 film Halloween, which specifically... Yeah, it specifically cites this as an influence. I have seen some sources, I cannot corroborate it, that it was actually that halloween actually started life as a sequel to black christmas Hmm. yes the film also ranked number 87 on bravo's 2004 list of the 100 scariest movie moments for the scene in which claire is killed furthermore apparently steve martin told the film's star that this was his favorite movie of all time and that he had seen it 27 times. Wow. Mm-hmm. The film is interesting, given that it was made, like, before a lot of the slasher tropes became known. Like, we don't get to see the killer. The killer actually talks quite a bit. And most interestingly, it's not the virgin who survives. Oh, yeah. If anything, it's the girl with the most agency who lives, which is a bit of an oddity. And has actually been cited as one of the best examples of the final girl trope. Its content also makes it a common subject in feminist film theory. Yeah, due to to how female-led the cast is, how casual they are about sex and more obscene behavior, and Mm. how it's... Mostly a film about harassment. Yeah. Yes, in retrospect, it has gotten much better reviews. A novelization was written in 1976 by Lee Hayes. Apparently it is very good, but rare as hell. And it got a remake in 2006 by Glenn Morgan. Andrea Martin was the only cast member to return. And the movie has a lot more... It's very graphic. It tells a lot more about the story of Billy, who is... Who cares about Billy? (laughs) uh, (laughs) Well, he's the killer. I I, I certainly didn't feel like I came out of the movie particularly curious. Like, it seems like he was very intentionally kept enigmatic. Yeah, in this one, it's just like... You get to see that he was abused, and incest led to the birth of Agnes, and then he (sighs) killed all of these people, and he makes cookies out of his mother. It is just... Well, that certainly sounds more like a modern slasher film. Yeah. Certainly sounds like a circa 2006 slasher film. Exactly. Uh Uh, yeah, it got like trashed. Cons- yeah. It it got one of the striking trashed. things to me regarding this 
film uh, as a sort of semi-originator of the slasher genre compared to the stereotypes I have about it now is, like I said before, one, very little violence, relatively. There's It does have a lot of shots of, uh, you know, corpses, but there's very little in the way of blood and a lot of the scenes of characters getting killed, uh, it cuts yeah. away from. I think that Claire is uh, really the only one that you see getting killed. Yeah. Two, uh, very, very little in the way of, uh, visual sexual content, which is kind of really surprising for me given the setting of the film. Yeah. Like, there's no, kind of a no one even, like, strips down or anything. It's just, all the sorority girls are like, Fully clothed and treated relatively normally. Yeah, good for them. Which that's that's nice. And aside from Peter and being I mean, a jackass, they're allowed to do yes, what they want. Yeah, and I mean, yes, there is all the uh, content of the calls that they receive that is quite questionable. But at the same time, the co- it's pretty unambiguous as to the fact that it's meant to be gross. Yeah. Yeah. So it's def- it's I would say it's pretty far beyond a lot of slasher films that came out afterwards in those respects. Yeah, I mean, it really did take a while for slasher films to get the sort of reputation that they have with the on-screen violence and creativity of the kills. Like if you look yeah. back at Texas Chainsaw Massacre or Halloween or even the first Friday the 13th, they're <laughs> Fairly tame by modern standards. Yeah, I've not seen the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but um, from what I've heard, it's a lot less like gory or bloody than people often will expect it to be. Yes, blood is only seen once in that movie. That's I've never seen it, so that's very surprising. Yeah, it's that's certainly not what its reputation would have led me to believe. Yeah, in. It's the same vein as this movie, in that a lot of it is done through suggestion. Ah. Perhaps it's better done that way. Mm-hmm. I would say so. Now, before we wrap up, I do want to go back to the director, Bob Clark, who... Let's hear it. After a few critical successes, like the film Murder by Decree and Tribute... He returned to his more low-budget roots with the 1982 film Porky's, which is considered a precursor to the sex comedy films that really hit their big time in the 80s and 90s. And then he actually went on to direct another movie that you have probably heard of. Oh, let's hear it. I, I, I... The answer might surprise you. A Christmas Story. Uh, Uh, Well, I have heard that one. I have, in fact, heard that one. (laughs) Yep. The same person made Black Christmas and A Christmas Story. Then again, he also made the Baby Geniuses films. (laughs) Huh. Huh. (laughs) Yeah. Unfortunately, he died in a car crash back in 2007. At the time, he was actually working on a sequel to Black Christmas. Oh, wow. Which, yes, to the original, actually. That would have starred Olivia Hussey in her 
reprising her role of Jess Bradford. So it can probably be assumed that she survived the film. That could have been interesting. She fucking kicked Billy's ass. Good. (laughs) This this is canon. We... Yeah. Just the fact that there, this was, that a sequel was even, uh, a question. It proves that this is canon. Yeah. She kicked Peter's ass. She kicked Billy's ass. And now she's a vigilante hunting down men who are pieces of shit. Hell yeah. I, I want that to be a miniseries now. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we can kickstart it. I wonder how expensive the rights are. God. I actually rather liked this film. Yeah, no, I thought it was solid, especially because for as much as we talk about horror on here relative to other genres, I don't do a whole lot of horror, especially yeah. slasher stuff. So I was surprised by how watchable it was in that sense. Yeah, I mean, it was before the oversaturation of the genre, and as someone who has watched a lot of slasher films, this one definitely holds up. Especially as the originator toying with these concepts that hadn't necessarily become cliché yet. Yeah, no, that's very true. It was hard for me to... I feel like I have a different experience watching it, not understanding the general context of it being the originator of all this, because... Like I said, I watched it together with Jacob. I assume this is not his first time watching it. It was, actually. It was? Oh. Well, you at least knew the context of it, and I didn't. Yeah. So. I definitely would like to give it another go. Um, <laughs> yeah. I enjoyed what I did watch, and I will I would probably not wear headphones <laughs> watching it this time. Um, I think that might have made it worse. Yeah. Yeah, like, it's, it's not a pleasant auditory experience, but then again, never, neither is working retail in the Christmas season. Hey. <laughs> and it's an unpleasant auditory experience, not in the way that uh, uh, Blood Freak was, where, like... <laughs> yeah, this this one kept... was intentional for horror's sake. Should we stop there? Because that's like a really good segue into our closing. The whole something like we hope that we weren't an unpleasant audio experience. Well, I hope that we weren't an unpleasant audio experience. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to It's Symbolic. We call that a layup. Yeah. If you have a suggestion for something you want us to cover, please, we are growing desperate. Or just anything you want to say, you can contact us on Twitter at It's Symbolic PC or through email at It's Symbolic Podcast at gmail.com. We are also on Instagram at It's Symbolic Podcast. If you want to see. I don't know, I don't have a good joke about this movie's visuals. That, that's what happens when I like it, I guess. And as always. You'll well, have to try harder next week. As always, no matter how you're listening, be it through iTunes, Spotify, whatever, leave a rating and review. Not only is it helpful criticism, it's also how people find out about us. Now, 
Jesus, I just realized that this is our last episode of 2018. Wow. We, we made it through... Well, we debuted in, like, June, so we made it through half a year. Good Yay. enough. We as a people made it through a year. <laughs> it, yes. I'm Jacob. I'm Mir. I'm Ben. Join us next year when we review one of those most important truths... A purse is not food. Well, I mean, what is a purse in definition? Like, like, I feel like I've heard pizza rolls or like something like that called like a pizza purse or something like that before. I have you know? literally never heard that. Ne- Come on, that. Okay, no, this is definitely it maybe. Okay, maybe it's not Are pizza you... rolls. Maybe it's something else that's sort of like a uh, a similar structure. You know, this is definitely something. I'm not. I've definitely heard purse used for as like a food descriptor are, are, are you saying that because a purse is something that holds another thing in it a purse is by yes. definition a sandwich no what this sucks I've, <laughs> I've not I've not heard purse used in the context of food fuck so. this aside from like snacks snacks fuck this I'm gonna stop recording this sucks Nobody, nobody's on my side Ho, 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 shit.